0: Moses, and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle to fight back and win against big tech. Got a few great topics today. We also have uh, a guest joining us. We have Harsh Karana, the CEO and founder of a company called Cultivate. Uh, Harsh, great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. So, uh, so tell us a little bit about what Cultivate does, and um, you know how how you guys are helping people discover and 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 bring more demand to to made in America products.
1: Yeah, of course. So, Cultivate it was built during the pandemic, and, and the way we kind of thought about building something was, well, everybody's searching on Amazon for products. So, how do we really bring transparency and alternatives to to those products that are going to be U.S. made? Um, What we did was, well, 70% of search starts on Amazon, let's build a browser extension that sits on top of Amazon, captures every search that's going on, and spits back to our users or consumers, US-made alternatives if they exist, and if not, very soon we'll just give you merchants that are helping you pay back to the local communities, local economies, helping small businesses, helping... Um, you know, clean water projects across the States and so on and so forth. So pretty much kind of building a cleaner shopping experience um, off of Amazon, pretty much um, to give back to small businesses, um, help grow jobs in the U S uh, and give back.
0: All things that ring very true with, with the show and, and, and uh, many topics we've discussed in the past. There's an interesting story I think you had on, on uh on Mark Cuban and how you got him involved with the company, is that right?
1: Yeah, so during the pandemic, when the idea first struck me, I thought, hey, we gotta get somebody big involved. Uh, we have to make a difference, and the difference has to be kind of quick because the, the pandemic was storming on and small businesses were suffering. So we quickly put together a deck, uh, I sent him a nice one-line pitch with the deck, um, and that's really what it takes to, to really get to him. He's very open to email. Um, we shot him a note. We got to talking. Within 72 hours, uh, Mark said, let's go do this thing. We got to building in May. And by mid-July, he said, let's go tweet about this thing. And that really took off um, for Cultivate.
0: So cold email, one line pitch when you attach the deck that, you know, like he takes attachments, doesn't go to some spam, you know, like
1: that. that's what it was? That, that's all it took, really. It's a, it's a Gmail, right? So he knows if it's a virus or not. So the Google slide deck, not a PowerPoint PDF deck, uh, went through cleanly. Um, you open it and literally within an hour, I heard back.
0: Wow. That's awesome. Um, it's great. So, so I've, I've got, it's a browser extension, right? So, uh, I mean, you also have a, a, a website here. I'm screen sharing, but you can also shop on your website, but I would imagine that the primary use case is you get this browser extension. I go to Amazon. I just like punched in umbrella or something random. And, and you actually have the top, like you are um, interjecting this new uh, kind of uh, horizontal uh, box here with, you know, these are American made alternatives that you're layering in. These ones are actually from Wayfair. Uh, and I clicked through to one of these just randomly and and looked at the umbrella and looked at the Wayfair site and yes it says country of origin is United States. So that's very cool. I see that integration. Then I clicked on another umbrella on Amazon's site and it looks like are you doing this? It says seller from Massachusetts, USA. Are you giving that intelligence on where the seller is from?
1: That's exactly right. So there's a ton of use cases, right? So Every time you click on products, we show you where the seller's from. And if we also have other information like where the brand is from and the trademarks and all that good stuff, we show you that information too. What's happened from that is that a lot of folks like you've seen on YouTube channels or podcasts have picked this up. They found fake products, fake products claiming to be made in USA. Um, but you can see the seller and the brands from China usually, um, but claiming to be made in USA and they've been able to point that out. So that's been the use case there. What you pointed out is exactly right. We try to show you US-made alternatives um umbrellas uh, apparently were only found at Wayfair at the time. So we have Wayfair uh, umbrellas showing, but we try to get you to small businesses. Um, and that's the goal.
0: So I love that you're showing me where the seller is from because that's nice. We've covered on the show, by the way, that I think like 49% of the top 10,000 sellers on Amazon are just straight Chinese factories. So, you know, this isn't like, you know, it's actually not so commonplace for these sellers to actually be. From the U.S., you know, uh, so so that's actually a really good point of information. Even if the product, I mean, this is the this is where it's hilarious. Is the origin says made in the U.S.A. or imported? <laughs> you know, like okay, thanks Amazon. Really, that's that's super helpful. Um, but you know, what categories have you seen that um, I'm on your website now? You know, what categories would you say are you seeing maybe some of the most traction with? you got a bunch listed here on the site, but any any that you're seeing like a, you know, much more success or progress with from from these, you know, as you are saying, smaller, more independent kind of true made in America product categories?
1: Yeah. So you, you'd see a lot of like beauty products being made here completely. Uh, I think that the world just trusts that the U.S. manufacturing processes for those products are just better. Uh, you don't want to get something in a box that's going to give you a ton of, you know, rations or whatever the case may be. So beauty has been a big, big category for us. Um, obviously, electronics are tough, but I think I see a lot of um, changes happening where even the chip chip makers are coming back here, uh, which is incredible because that, that will speak to the growth of Cultivate as well as this country, as far as tech is concerned. Um, to that point about you made uh, about the Chinese sellers, we actually did uh, have, we have a new set of data. Uh, we did an analysis on 285,000 sellers on Amazon through the extension. Fifty-three percent ended up being China. Um, keep in mind, like all that money that's going there is not paying any taxes in America. So that's about a, a quarter of a trillion dollars not paying taxes in America for sales that are happening from U.S. consumers.
0: You know, fr- frankly, it's disgusting. Um, and we've talked. You know, I've I've shown the workflow on the show where you know there is a a way. It's very archaic. It's very nuanced. Like it's even difficult for me to do it and. I'm so passionate about it, but there is a way to try and find uh, made in America, or maybe it's just sold by small businesses, small businesses in the U.S., but clearly it's not a priority of Amazon to try and surface this information, and it's just so befuddling to me as to why that is, where... You know, like it, it could just be another feature right? just another criteria. Maybe they don't get it right all the time, but it's not even they're not even trying to really integrate it and bake it into the into the search and and filtering flow when you're shopping on Amazon, which I don't know. It's just it's 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 disheartening, frankly, and it just still confuses me why
1: they don't even try to do this. That's a great point. Right. And there's layers to it. Like There's so many layers to it. So imagine, um, you know, just volume wise, the, the mass manufacturing happens in China uh, or, you know, some other country. U.S. doesn't do the same mass manufacturing. So what happens is that the small players in the U.S., the small businesses, like there was this company called Boardwalk T-shirts a while ago from Venice Beach. They were making great T-shirts. China found out. Cool. These factories started making the same shirts, but at mass volume, five dollars less and gave it to Amazon. Amazon, all they care about is their GMV number going up their you know and their fees rather or not stay the same right but the gmv number going up is all that matters and the, the one that's going to give them the most goods that's who they go for and they can't yep. upset that crowd by saying hey here's a made in usa filter because on the other side of things is that their ad revenue is the biggest growth generator for this i guess their platform now and you'll see like the first two pages nearly on amazon's searches at this point are all sponsored searches and they're bought by either, you know, big factories in China or the big sponsors here. So you're kind of just as far as a small business is concerned, completely disadvantaged. And, and that's what we're trying to really solve here.
0: It's like Tim Cook taking the design in California slogan off the back of the iPhone. Right. You know, you don't want to bother. You don't want to bother your supply of goods from China. You don't want to annoy China. And so you just take it off altogether, because clearly China was ticked off that we were saying, "Oh well, yeah, it's designed in California, but made in China." Just like this, right? Uh, Amazon doesn't want to disturb. They just want to. They want to ramp their GMV. They don't want to disturb all the supply that's coming from China, because that'll hurt their ability to 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 grow GMV. And now they're getting, yeah, probably a lot of ad dollars from you know these chinese factories these these direct to amazon brands like anker um you know where all that production is really just straight out of a chinese factory with with kind of a us uh brand and image on top of it so i mean it it it's such a sad sight which is why we wanted you to come on the show because you know i love what you guys are doing and um <laughs> you know, it's much needed. It's, it's actually surprising to me why it's 2021 and it's taken this long to, right, to try and promote made in America purchasing. There are some smaller like marketplaces that we've talked about on the show, um, that are supposed to have made in America products, but they still haven't really broken out. So I love that you're just kind of layering on top. Of the, of the of the purchasing flow going through to an Amazon. Walmart's doing this too. Walmart's going to China and promoting uh, Chinese sellers uh, to just list directly on Walmart. They're easing their their listing requirements from Chinese sellers. So I love this approach. Uh, how do we get it? What, what can we do? How can we support Cultivate?
1: Yeah, look, it's very simple. Um, all we want you to do is download a free extension. Uh, the free extension exists on Chrome, Firefox, uh, Safari, Brave, Opera, you name it, we're there. Um, the links are, are in, the, in the channel, um, you can just pick those up. And once you download the extension, you can head to Amazon, search for any product. We'll tell you where the seller is from, where the brand is from, give you some alternatives if, the, if that's possible. Otherwise, if you search on Google, for instance, we'll even show you, whereas, um, you know, if you're buying a coffee maker, for instance, and there's five different merchants selling it, you can buy with one of our partners and get back to a charity of your choice. And we give you that option. Um, that way you're buying the same product, but you're actually making a difference, uh, even though you can't find a US made alternative. Um, and, and the goal is to kind of just build that cleaner internet and, and, and you can do that very simply by just downloading the extension.
0: I've got the site up here. Go get the extensions free. Like, why wouldn't you do this? Kind of surprising that Honey hasn't done this either, right? I mean, they are like the, the Goliath of, of uh, you know, kind of shopping extension insights, right? I'm sure you've been tracking them and what they're doing. Maybe maybe they're a future acquirer or something like that for you guys.
1: They're certainly role models in the industry.
0: Well, Harsh? Love having you on. i um, going to keep talking about the company because it's awesome what you guys are doing and it's much needed long overdue. Keep us posted on on how it's going and hope uh, hope Cuban makes a lot of money. Hope you make a lot of money. Hope you bring a lot of money to American manufacturers. Uh, it's much needed. And I think that's, that's the nice kind of silver lining in all of this stuff with COVID is it's really, I think, awoken many, many tens of millions of Americans, if not more, and, and manufacturers, we got to bring it back, right? we got to bring it back and we got to promote American-made uh, uh, products. So any last words on your, on your end?
1: Two things. One is hey, we just had to make this destigmatized. Um, this is not political. This is helping your neighbor. This is helping your community. And that's what really matters here. And two is that very soon we'll be having a shop local feature. And I think you'll love that the most because it's local businesses as close to you as possible selling the products that you need. Uh, we've harvested data from 2.5 million merchants across the U.S., will be launching across all 50 states in, in Q1 2022, whereas you can find a lawnmower within 10 miles of you. You can find anything you need within 15 to 20 miles of you. And I think that's gonna be a big difference maker for the communities, um, whether or not you can buy a US-made option or not.
0: That's huge. Harsh, uh, thanks again and uh, hope to be hearing from you soon.
1: Thank you for having me, take care.
0: Well, that was a great way to start things off today. Um, I've been looking for this company for a long, long time. And uh, the shop local thing you just talked about, that's great. Love it. I mean, this is what I've been saying. It's going to come back. And it's just weird why the, I mean, I guess it's not weird, but it's weird why the big tech monopolies aren't leading the charge on this. I think he had some good points on, you know, basically their, their competing interests for them to keep their growth going. And China is giving a lot of money both in the form of resources to enable the supply chain of flow of products to the big tech monopolies and be actually hard dollars in, in the case of Amazon's advertising business. So whether or not big tech gets on board with this, it's a need. It's not political, as Harsh said. It's a need for both uh, consumers and manufacturers and sellers to really promote locally made and and made in America products. So I love this. Okay, so I skipped the overview on, on the topics for today, but clearly starting off with the made in America theme. Next topic is around the cannabis industry. So there's this company LeafLink. We did a top 50 B2B marketplace ranking. They were one of our top 10 LeafLink. So they've raised... Over $350 million, about $379 million to be exact. That $379 million number is a mixture of debt and equity. They got a massive debt fundraise for about a quarter billion dollars, $250 million in the summer of 2020. So they got over about $125 million, $129 million of equity fundraising, and then about $250 million in debt. So they said over 10,000 cannabis businesses use LeafLink to transact over $4.6 billion in wholesale commerce. And they process over $430 million in payment volume. B2B marketplace and cannabis means that the business customers on a leaf link are your retailers and your producers are your, you know, farmers and growers, and they're connecting the two. They're offering like point of sale and different, uh, you know, um, E commerce and digital solutions for the retailer. That's the 430 million in payment volume annually that they're talking about. They estimate that 42% of the US wholesale cannabis order flows go through their marketplace. So they're not doing 4.6 billion annually, but this does give you a view into the world of the size of the wholesale market. So now they're launching. A logistics offering. The cannabis industry, it's state by state, right? Uh, federally, this stuff is still not allowed. So all the, these rules are state by state. So when they do this press release, they're talking about, you know, here's what we're doing in these states versus those states. Cause it's all, it's all different rules. Since it's launched, LeafLink has worked with its trusted partners to build the largest logistics, logistics network in cannabis. Delivering over three hundred twenty-five million dollars a year, but here's the broader point: when you do a B two B marketplace, or really any marketplace, B two C marketplace, B two B marketplace, there's two key value-added services that you layer on as the marketplace. One is financing solutions, payments, uh, net payment terms, kind of credit, insurance. Roll those all up into financing solutions. Escrow was Alibaba's. You know, that's how Ant Financial came to be, was providing an escrow service. So financing and then logistics. And so that's basically the way this stuff goes. You, you, once you get your marketplace going to scale, especially if you don't charge a take rate as a B2B marketplace, then you really are looking at how you can layer on other value-added services like financing and logistics to really kind of close the loop, provide a stickier value prop, provide a more seamless transaction experience which is going to increase your GMB and it's going to give you other ways to drive margin. Or as what we're seeing with B2B marketplaces, I don't think LeafLink would even be, I don't know, be allowed to do this, uh, have a take rate just given the laws. But other marketplaces will try and add more value-added services so, so that they can take a take rate if they're not taking a take rate today. If they're not taking a take rate today, they have maybe more of a SaaS revenue business model. Then value-added services could be a mechanism to unlock The ability for the marketplace to take a take rate. Last point on this is the third bucket is advertising dollars, just as um, Harsh was talking about with Amazon. You know, huge driver for them are ad dollars. The thing with ad dollars, though, is ad dollars, you know, you can do financing and value and and logistics as value added services before you get to ad dollars. To really do ads uh, successfully, you need to have massive, massive scale, you need to have huge volume. Ads are a great kind of third rail value-added service. You could think about it that way. But, but it's something that happens a little bit later in the life cycle than these. These value-added services are providing much more hard, tangible utility earlier on that can help you get to the type of volumes you need to, to successfully roll out and an advertising solution. But those are basically the 3, the first two being financing and logistics. Other interesting thing is you've got now Uber Eats rolling out doing cannabis orders in Ontario, Canada. Now this is down to uh the consumer. This isn't on the B2B side. So <laughs> the ride hailing giant says it will begin allowing customers in Ontario, Canada. So Canada it's legalized on the federal level. To begin ordering cannabis through the Uber Eats app, (laughs) Uber Eats will begin listing the cannabis retailer Tokyo Smoke on its marketplace. You can buy a hamburger, now you can buy um, weed from Tokyo Smoke. I love the cannabis space just because when when you look at financing solutions and logistics solutions, you can't use any of the incumbents. And so because in the United States, the federal government doesn't allow it. So that means that you really have to kind of reimagine a lot of these very traditional needs from scratch. And that's the cool thing when you think about kind of like a greenfield uh, pun- intended opportunity for these kinds of value-added service kind of add-ons and bundles, which was really the thing that gave Alibaba. Its ability to do Ant Financial and Ant Financial launch a consumer oriented kind of payment app um, was because China has prevented basically credit cards from operating at any sort of scale or penetration in China. So you didn't have the incumbents in China, which then really allowed for this QR code and financial uh, payment flow, payment consumer experience to take off very aggressively. Now you have seen a number of players move into financing and logistics, but now you're starting to see the big marketplaces, surprise, surprise, who have demand and have supply bundle their own solutions in. It's great. You can kind of see the natural flow for how these businesses, particularly these marketplaces, evolve. And when you get that visibility, when you can kind of see where they're what what they're arriving at, what that endpoint is that they're trying to arrive at. Therein lies uh, an opportunity. So interesting stuff. Okay. Last topic. Yes, we exist in the year 2021. Um, It's almost 2022. And Macy's is entering the marketplace foray with a miracle solution. Is this a miracle? For Macy's, um, wasn't there a movie like Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street? Is that a movie? Yeah, it is a it is is Macy's Miracle Marketplace offering a miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. That is where uh, Macy's headquarters building is. Drum roll, please. The answer is absolutely not. <laughs> they are launching wait for it, a curated audience of third-party sellers. But no, it's not out yet. They're just announcing the plan to announce the eventual addition of third-party sellers sometime in the second half of 2022. Not the first half, but like a year from now. I kid you not, this was the announcement. Now, let's rewind the clock. What just happened to Macy's like in the past few weeks? Oh, that's right. They got an activist investor who thinks that Macy's should split off its e-commerce business from the core business, and that would unlock a lot of value. With this kind of leadership, go read this article, that honestly seems like a pretty good idea. And here's what some of the analysts think of this. The setting up of the marketplace may satiate some of this hunger for more digital. That said, retail analyst Neil Saunders at Global Data isn't keen on the marketplace idea. Warning in a note to investors that a possible danger of the marketplace is that it'll decrease the overlap between stores and online, which will in turn amplify the calls for Macy's to spin off e-commerce. At present, this is a strategy management firmly resists uh, spinning off e-commerce and it's something we applaud them for, but we do not see the matter going away anytime soon. In our view, tearing Digital and store asunder would be a huge mistake. It would over time be the death knell for Macy's as a mainstream brand. Here's the problem when you have this kind of lackluster leadership to make decisions to go and roll out a marketplace business from scratch in the year of not 2021, but second half of 2022, you become a laughing stock. This has got to be a joke. This is going to cost a boatload of money to do this from scratch. And, and it's gonna take them a year to do it. Look at how fast the market moves. What's gonna happen a year from now, right? Look at secondhand retail, uh, secondhand marketplaces. Look at all these different marketplace startups that are out there that would be dying to do a deal with a Macy's. What is Macy's trying to do, according to Jeff Kennett, the CEO? We're standing up our discrete marketplace team within our digital pyramid. We believe that the customer benefit of this is curated assortment. To get that is a must. It needs to be curated by a fashion and style retailer. It needs to be a seamless experience for the customer. And then, of course, the benefits are we know that we can grow our digital business faster. We can generate more profitability, get more depth and breadth of assortment and really address new brands and emerging trends for a customer who looks to us to be able to do that. Here's the challenge is you could do all of that for a fraction of the money by just partnering with these up and coming B2C fashion marketplaces that already have the technology that already have the supply what do they need demand you can give them your fashion and style procurement people that work at Macy's who can then work with the marketplace partner or partners plural to bring a curated assortment of their supply into Macy's ecosystem without having to stand up all of the cost of building the technology, even if you're using a miracle, there's a lot of stuff that goes into doing this integration and, and standing all this up, goes into managing and recruiting third-party sellers, recruiting them to the platform, getting them onboarded, uh, You know, managing issues that come up Curating out who are the good third party sellers, who are the bad ones. It's a lot of work. And so these marketplace startups would happily offload and onboard a lot of that cost because they need what? More demand. And that's what Macy's has. You know, it's unfortunate to see. Yes, I want to applaud traditional enterprises for embracing new business models like marketplace, but you have to execute properly. And if you don't execute properly, you're going to fail. And this thing, a build from scratch approach, it's dead in the water. I'll even be surprised if this thing sees the light of day a year from now to make it through all the rigmarole, all the integration, all the money they're going to have to sink into this. When they don't have to. Just really bad leadership gonna let a year go by and do it all from scratch that's the challenge i'll give you i'll give you another example you know i I, I, let's go to let's go to the b2b industry for a second here so this company is called unilog they have their roots in providing product data and intelligence product intelligence to b2b many of them distributors b2b distributor customers and um, this company, Invesco, big kind of PE fund, bought this company, Unilog, earlier this year, like January of 2021. And now uh, the company, Unilog, has rolled out, you can see it here on the banner, their own digital commerce solutions for B2B distributors and, and certain like hardware retailers and these kinds of customers and makes makes a lot of sense, right It's strategy we're seeing all over the place it's like vertical specific shopify it's something that we did with dot foods in the food space. A lot of people are looking at you know how can i bring how can I bring e-commerce tools to my customers so for unilog makes they right they already have the product data capability now how can they bring the e-commerce solution as well and you know, this is a similar story. Honestly, not as bad as the Macy's situation, where the Macy's thing, I think, is just dead on arrival. This is somewhat more similar to the Berkshire eSupply analysis that I did, right? Where you have this product, they're going to give you e commerce tools. It's not clear to me exactly how they built up this e commerce capability. <laughs> I mean, I would hope this is all built in-house from scratch. There's a big difference between licensing. So although I was saying that Macy's is building their own marketplace themselves as opposed to partnering with a with a marketplace partner, they're licensing the technology for Miracle and then building their own marketplace on top of licensing. So you don't even own the underlying technology. So when you want to make changes to the fundamentals of how the the marketplace operates and you onboard sellers and and, you know, you centralize data, right? You, you have to do that all within the confines of the miracle solution, which should, should save you some cost up front, but it restricts and confines um, how much of a core competency truly becoming a marketplace actually is to your business. So my hope for a unilog is that they've actually built this e-commerce tool from scratch. They own the source code. They own the IP. They haven't licensed someone else's e-commerce tool and then bundled their kind of product data capability into it. That's my hope. I still don't know which one it is. But the former is preference because now that means that Unilog is making this a core competency to provide their customers with e-commerce tools. Okay, That's my hope. And if that is the case, then I would say that that they have a lot of work to do for the e-commerce solution to really be um, on par with not even an Amazon, but let's just say a, a Granger or a Zorro. But if it is a core competency and they're building this stuff in-house and they have a good team of technologists and engineers and product people, then they should be able to get there. Just a question of how long and how well can they execute? And that's really what it comes down to is, here's the good news, is you're seeing a number of players In the B two B space, in the B two C space, strategically start to start to make smart digital business models, strategic decisions. Where it's falling down for them is the execution. Uh, Macy's trying to go and launch their own miracle marketplace from scratch in the year of second half of 2022. I mean, come on, seriously. Um, Berkshire e supplies product needs a lot of work to just you know have any kind of be in the same ballpark of Zorro, let alone Amazon. Um, Unilog, I'd say is somewhat in the similar boat as eSupply with one difference. Unilog should have a much stronger product data competency, right? That has been their business for years. Berkshire eSupply has been a master distributor. That's their core business. So they have the kind of more of the logistics and fulfillment infrastructure as a master distributor, less so on the product data side. Unilog, from a digital capability standpoint, should have, in my opinion, a much stronger product data capability than an e-supply. They both are lacking on the e-commerce enablement capability to, for example, product recommendations. Right? Um, There's no even contemplation of being able to bundle products together to say, hey, well, you're looking to buy this thing. So why don't you also look at these related products? Forty percent of the products that Amazon sells are from that product recommendation feature, 40%. It might be more now. It's a lot of products, right? So that's just one example. There are many. So if you really want to succeed in delivering the solution, you need to execute. right strategy. How can I enable distributors with product data and e-commerce tools? Right strategy. How do you execute, right? Let me draw one more comparison to what Dot Foods did. .foods Master distributor, like a Berkshire eSupply, bought a company that does this called ShopHero. ShopHero provides e-commerce solutions and product data solutions to a specific vertical, smaller, mid-sized, independent grocery retailers. Right, vertical specific, vertical specific Shopify, and that means that the product data and the e-commerce tools are very specific to that kind of. Purchasing flow and the type of customer, in that case, the consumer that's going to interact with these retailers' websites. So, you need focus if you want to have any chance of being able to execute well. What would have given me more confidence in these companies' ability to say, okay, yeah, yeah, e yeah. commerce product needs more. Fine. I don't expect your V1 to be where Zorro is, who's been in the market for years. But does your company have the ability? Do they have the core competency? Do they have the people, the team, the muscle memory to close that gap and execute? And that is where I would look, for example, to say, well, oh, look, they bought a tech company. They bought a company. And that's all that company does is build e-commerce solutions for industrial supply distributors, whatever it is, right? I have not seen that for unilog. I've not seen that for an e-supply, which then begs the question, which is, well, where does this capability come from to provide e-commerce tools? Did you just license this from someone else and bundle it and brand it as your own? And if that's what you're doing, run for the hills, baby. And if the other way is that you've now hired in a team from scratch and they've gone and built this whole thing from scratch, that is prone for a lot of execution risk. It's a much cheaper way to do it, but there's a, I would say, much more execution risk than if you've now bought a company that already has a certain amount of success, that's already proven themselves in the market, um, and has gone through those trials and tribulations, which is what DOT did. Still a smaller company, but right? A very different point of success and scale If you're buying a company that has raised money, that has gotten some level of volume and traction already on their own in the market. So that's how some of I think about this and how I look at this. That's some of how some of the questions I have on a unilog. And, um, you know, I'm I'm not writing them off. But if I was evaluating unilog, those would be some of the questions I would be asking if I was a a retailer or a distributor thinking of of using what they have. So um, take that for what it's worth. That's it for us today Winner Take All. Thank you very much for joining us. The fight continues against big tech. We are making progress every day and I'll talk to you soon.